You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. Good morning to 840 today. Glad you are here. Uh, For centuries, Israel had trouble with pagan idol worship. Israel was in this constant cycle. They, They would spend seasons of their history worshiping the one true God. And then they had backslide and began to worship idols. And so God would have to call up a, a courageous judge or a barking prophet or an exacting priest and call Israel back to the one true God. And one of the centers of this pagan worship was on a mountain peak called Mount Carmel. Uh, here's a picture on the screen behind me of Mount Carmel. This is not my picture. I didn't take it. it. It is a mighty peak. And actually, Mount Carmel is not a mountain. Mount Carmel is a mountain range. And what you see is kind of the tallest peak of the Mount Carmel range. Uh, you look down from Mount Carmel. In fact, here's another picture. I did take this picture. Not bad for an iPhone 9. Kind of looking down from, from Mount Carmel, looking down into the Jezreel Valley. If you look straight ahead in that picture, you see Mount Moray. This is where when Abraham came into Canaan, came into the promised land, he he stopped and he worshiped God. If you look at the picture on on the right, you see a a mountain in the far distance. That's Mount Gilboa, uh, where Saul and David and Abinadab were all killed by the Philistines. If you can look, it's kind of hazy on that day. If you look into the left-hand corner of that picture, kind of in the distance, you see uh, Mount Tabor. Uh, which is the probable place of the Mount of Transfiguration. And none of those things have anything to do with the sermon today. I'm just nerding out at the map picture, the picture of of Carmel up there. But if you don't mind, uh, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18 together today as we continue in our series of good trouble as we look at the life of Elijah. So if you'll make your way to 1 Kings 18, and as you turn there, I'll give you uh, just a little context. King Ahab is the king of Israel at this time, a, a miserably ungodly king. And he has married the wicked, evil Jezebel. Anyone here have the name Jezebel? Exactly. No one does. Like she is always known as like just this evil, dark-hearted person. And she was fanatically devoted to the pagan god Baal. In fact, so much so that she brought in hundreds of of Baal priests and she set up worship centers at at high places like Carmel. She set up schools and and, and a system for her people there in Israel or for the Israelites to worship Baal. She's installed the worship of Baal as the national religion. This is what the people of Israel will do. Let's pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse 16, this is where we left off last week. So 18, 16. So Obadiah, just a reminder, Obadiah is is kind of the chief of staff for Ahab, maybe like the vice president, the head over all of his household. And you might remember from last week that Obadiah, this is not the prophet Obadiah, but this Obadiah fears God. He loves God. And he has been protecting some of the true prophets of the true God. Remember last week he had put them in caves, a hundred of them, 50 in one cave, 50 in another cave, made sure that they had bread, made sure they had water. And so Obadiah has now met, has met Elijah, who's kind of been absent, if you will, off the scene for three years. And they find each other. Um, Elijah finds Obadiah. And here's what, what is said in verse 16. So Obadiah goes to meet Ahab and told him. What did he tell him? He told him, I have found Elijah. 
We've been searching for him. You've been longing to see him. It hasn't rained in three years. You want to talk to this guy? And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, the title of our sermon series, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Let's, let's stop right there and just get one major point out of the way as we begin the sermon this morning. Here's the major point of just those first three verses. You bring difficulty on yourself and others when you abandon God's ways. If you would like to personalize that this morning, if you'd be so brave to do that, you can say, I bring difficulty on myself and others when I abandoned God's ways. This is what Elijah, the spokesman for God, is saying to Ahab and to his kingdom and reminding Ahab of his father, Omri, who is also an evil uh, um, king there of Israel. He is saying, you've abandoned the ways of the Lord. And as you've abandoned the ways of the Lord, you're bringing difficulty upon yourself. You're bringing difficulty upon your entire nation. The same is true of us, Highland. When we lie, instead of telling the truth, we bring difficulty upon ourselves. We bring difficulty upon others around us. When, when we're jealous, instead of being content with what we have, we bring difficulty upon ourselves. We bring difficulty upon others when we abandon the commandments, when we abandon the ways of the Lord. Any sexual intimacy outside of God's design which is between a husband and a wife and a covenant relationship intended for a lifetime. Anytime we step outside of that design, anytime we step out of that command, we bring difficulty upon ourselves. We bring difficulty upon others. Anytime we choose anger instead of peace, we're just heaping difficulty upon ourselves and upon others. Anytime we're unforgiving instead of being filled with grace, we're bringing difficulty upon ourselves. Anytime we're prayerless, Instead of abiding in Christ, we bring difficulty upon ourselves. And all of us in this house today, we've all done this. We've all chosen unwisely at some point in our lives. And after we have chosen unwisely, we have to just sit there in our lack of wisdom. The call today for you is not to abandon the ways of the Lord. The call for all of us, the call for my heart today is not to abandon the ways of God, to not abandon the ways of God's truth and God's purity and God's design for human sexuality and God's design for humility and love. Why? Why would you purposely bring difficulty upon yourself and others by abandoning God's ways when life is difficult enough? When our culture brings enough difficulty upon us, Life itself brings plenty of difficulty already. Why would we purposely choose to bring difficulty upon ourselves by abandoning the ways of the Lord? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. Now therefore, send and, and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel. This is Elijah speaking. And the 400 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, they're welcome there. She loves the leaders of the pagan gods. She loves those who speak on behalf, if you will, of those who are idols and false gods. Verse 
20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said to the people, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, if I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, great, great. We love it. It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So Elijah comes to King Ahab and and challenges Ahab to send all the prophets of Baal, all 450, to Mount Carmel for, if you will, a showdown. We will both pray to, to our gods. I will pray to Yahweh and you pray to Baal. And the true God will hear our prayer and will end the drought. Ahab says you're on, basically. Baal is the God of rain. Like, how badly can this go? Elijah says you... You go first, verse 26. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. So that they begin first, the prophets of Baal begin first and they They call during the majority of the beginning of of this contest, if you will, and no one answers from from morning until noon. So let's say four hours, five hours, six hours, they're they're calling out. Verse verse 27, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. I normally would not encourage people to mock others, but this is what Elijah does. Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself and that is exactly what you think he's saying. (laughs) Or he's on a journey. Maybe your God's asleep and must be awakened. So shout louder, first of all. Maybe he's thinking, verse 27. Maybe he's in the bathroom, verse 27. Maybe he's on a vacation, verse 27. Maybe he's asleep, verse 27. You know, sometimes we read the Old Testament and think, These guys never behave like I do. Well, here a guy behaves just like us. Verse 28, and they they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood just gushed out upon them. Don't miss this, verse 28. They bleed to get their God's attention. Our God bled to get ours. Verse 29, and as midday passed, and so now it's been five, six, seven, eight plus hours, they raved, that's an interesting word, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now it's Elijah's turn. 
So he soaks his offering in, in water. He fills the trench up with, with 12 jars, basically. So there's no tricks here. There, there's no smoke and no mirrors. The prophet steps forward and he prays. And it's a short prayer. God's not impressed by our long prayers. He's not impressed by our eloquence or our verbosity. Let's pick it up now in, in verse 36. I've kind of caught you up a little bit. Verse 36, 1 Kings 18. And at the time of the offering of the oblation of Elijah the prophet, he came near and said, here's his prayer, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So answer me, O Lord, answer me that, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Finish the story, verse 38 through verse 40. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw that, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. The Lord, Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized him, seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Three things today. That's all I have time for, three things. If you're note takers, you might want to write this down. I, I think these three things might even be worthy of the margins of your Bible today. Here's the first thing you might want to see about this story. This was a victory that God's people needed to see. This, this was a victory and an accomplishment that the people of God needed to see. Would you go back your Bible? I'm, I'm assuming it's still open. Look at, verse, look at verse 19. This is Elijah speaking. Now therefore send, and don't miss this, gather all of Israel to me. Verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and, and gathered them in. Look at verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people. If you want to jump down to verse 30, we, we skipped it in the reading, but we're not going to skip it now. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Verse 30, and all the people came near to him. Verse 31 is interesting. We skipped that also, but not right now. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel, Israel shall be your name. You see, this was an opportunity for all of God's people to see what God can do. But it was also reminded all of God's people of God's care for them, but also God's covenant relationship with them, which is why we get that little phrase at the end of verse 31, Israel shall be your name. That was already a promise given to Israel. It was a picture of covenant. So up on Mount Carmel, just make sure on the same page, this is not Elijah versus Ahab. I mean, Elijah doesn't need to see this, really. He's already been fed by birds. He's already spent the last three years looking at a sack of flour that never ran out and a jar of oil that never ran out. And then he saw a boy raised from the dead. Elijah doesn't necessarily need this. The people of Israel do. This is not even Elijah versus Baal's prophets. This was God's way for his people to understand that they had chosen their way and not God's way. By the way, just for the record, God didn't need to prove himself on that mountain to himself either. God knows who he is. 
This wasn't proof to God's own heart. It was God's way for his people versus the world's way for his people. So Elijah was bringing God's people to this place of choice, which is why he said back in verse 21, no more limping. You're just going back and forth between the world's ways and Yahweh's ways. You need to stand on one place. God's people, you need a singular decision. Not God plus someone, not God plus something. Elijah saw that God's people, again, verse 21, they were limping. In Hebrew, the word is pasak. And it means they were broken. It means that they weren't whole. It, it means that they were, they were lame. They were, they were hobbled. So when God was calling his people not to just limp between the two, he was calling God's people to be complete, to be whole, to be healed, to be strong, to be victorious. They had been going back and forth between God and the world, between strength in God and now defeat by the world. How about you? Are you going back and forth also? If you will, limping between two opinions? God is your Lord sometimes, but you're the Lord some days of your own life. You worship him some days, but worship your flesh other days. You, you love God's agenda some days, and you love your agenda other days. You love him completely some days. You love yourself completely some days. Interestingly enough, that does not produce a well-rounded life. It produces a life of brokenness, or if you will, a life of limping when you can't make up your mind who you're going to love the most, who you will treasure, who you will worship. The epic event on top of Mount Carmel was for God's people to see. They needed to see this. We are the same today. We often need, we regularly need to be reminded of the victory of God, which is, by the way, I think one of the main reasons and purposes for baptism. That we can celebrate another victory. We can celebrate that God is has pulled someone out of death into life. It's the reason I think anytime God's people meet in small groups, here's a great question for you to answer within your CGs, your ABFs, or, or your, your dinner group, or your friends that, that are, have faith in Christ, is to ask them, well, what have you seen God do this week? And then celebrate what God is doing. Celebrate the victories. Look and see what God is doing. That the ultimate victory we need to recount? Christ at the cross. And Christ raised from the dead. This was a victory that God's people needed to see. Here's the second thing I want you to see in the story. Idols always take more than they give. Probably a thousand of us could stand up in this room and give testimony to that. Idols always take more than they give. Go back to the story. Look at verse, verse 28. And they cried aloud. So this was the, the prophets of Baal trying to get the attention of Baal. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood it just gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they just raved on and on and on again until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. Idols always do this, by the way. Whether well, it's idols of wealth or of appearance or of looks or, or possession or idols of status or idol of addiction to pornography or addiction to your phone or addiction to alcohol, addiction to pills, idols always demand more of us than we thought they would demand. 
They always take more from us than we thought that they would take. Idols always take more of our time, our, our confidence, our marriages, our families, our peace, our joy, our schedule. They, they tear down and take away our testimonies. They deplete our attention. So much so that these Baal worshipers even come to the point that they cut themselves. And did you catch it in the passage? As was their custom. In other words, they had done this before. And their blood poured out. Blood. The life source itself being poured out, being given over to an idol. How much have you given to your idol? How much time and how much money and how much affection? How much worthless effort have you given to your idol? How interesting here, the pressure to gain a response from an idol leads them to mutilating and deforming and breaking their own bodies. How ironic that these guys are to offer this greater access to a better life, but instead the followers end up pouring out their own blood on the ground. This is what idols are like in our own lives today. They, they cripple us. They, they drain the life from us. They demand more than we ever considered that they would demand. And let me ask you this. Has your idol ever taken care of you or answered you in love? Compare this to Jesus who left heaven to earth to pour out his blood for us. Which one should we worship? Which one truly has the right to demand our soul, our life, our all? Thirdly, lastly, the victory here was not Elijah's, but God's. God is the hero of this story, not, not Elijah. God was showing Israel something in this event, mainly what it means to serve Yahweh as, as God. Perhaps as a child, just like when I was a child, I heard this story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, and maybe it was framed for you, or maybe you framed it yourself, that this was just some story about some hero named Elijah who, who stood up for himself or who stood up for God. But this really isn't some competition for Israel to figure out who they're going to worship. It's not some little contest like an arm wrestling match between this God and this God, between the two gods to see who is stronger. That's not really the point of this contest. The purpose of the contest, if you will, is found in verse 37 and 38 and 39. So let me just read this again to you. You can look in your own Bible. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord. This is Elijah talking to Yahweh. Answer me, O Lord. Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, O Yahweh, you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Two things here, that Yahweh is God. Not just that he's going to win this contest, not just that he's more powerful, but he is God and there is no other. In other words, Yahweh is not a God, he is the God. Secondly, and this is very moving to me, this story was God wanting to turn their hearts back 
to him. This was not some match. Let's just see who the, the bitter, bigger, better, more powerful God is. This match was about the people of God coming back to the one true God. I know I told you three points. I'm going to give you a sub point for number three. This is a story of what God will do to win back his people. You see, all other religions, even in the world today, are about winning their God's approval. But here's Yahweh saying, watch, I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to bring down this sacrifice, this fire on a sacrifice to win your affection and to turn your heart back to me. This is not just the story of Carmel. This is the story of Calvary. Where God says, watch, I'm going to send my son to be the sacrifice that my people might come to me. So the question for us today is this, would you come to God, maybe for the first time? Or would you come back to God? Would you return to God today? See, the cross wasn't some way for God to prove he's God or for Jesus to prove that he's the son of God. The cross has this purpose, Christ be lifted up that he might draw people to himself. Today, would you come to God? Christian, would you come back to God? Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, it's such a familiar story to so many people in the room. As a child, I, I framed it as one God versus another God. In reality, it is the God against all of our idols that we've produced ourselves. And the most recent match on Mount Carmel is actually the cross. where God sent his son to be the sacrifice. That he might draw women and men and children and people to himself, to turn our hearts toward him. God, our hearts have been so distracted by idols. We have given ourselves to idols. They demanded so much more than we thought they would demand. And we've even drained our lives. But God, you give life and you hear, and you care. So Father, today we, we return, we come home. Thank you that your arms are always open wide for the prodigal to come home. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we can come to God. It's in the name of Jesus, the sacrifice that we that we pray. And as we sing this song, can I just encourage you, we said this last week, maybe some of you would want to come and just kneel before the Lord and, and come back to lay down the idols that demanded so much of you this past semester, this past year. 
turn your heart back to God.